0: We're building a human and they will take what they need from your body. So if they're not getting it from your nutrition, they're going to get it from somewhere. They really will. And so you need to be giving them the building blocks of life, right? There can be a lot of mom guilt of like, I need to be doing this to take care of me, to take care of baby, because if I don't X, Y, Z, and I don't want any mom to leave this podcast with that feeling.
1: Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for coming back to the show. Uh, Today we have Sarah. She is a postpartum and in uh, prenatal fitness and health coach. We're going to talk to her. We're going to answer the question, how does gut development, What what is that? How does that affect baby? How does that affect mama? And how does your prenatal and postnatal care affect both? So let's get into it. Hey, Sarah, tell us all about you. Tell us where you're from, who you
0: serve, what you do. All that good stuff. I'm so excited to be here. First of all, when Jetta said that she was going to launch a podcast, I was already like checking on Spotify. I was going to be the first to subscribe, like so pumped. But hi, I am Sarah. Like Jedha said, I'm a prenatal and postnatal fitness specialist. I'm certified in Pilates, certified in yoga. I'm like your fitness bestie online. So that's what I do. And I love to help moms. That is the people that I love to serve the most because I used to be the fitness coach that did not understand that fitness changed radically once you became a mother. And then I became one myself times three. I have a toddler and I have now four month old twins. And I was like, oh, wow, this is very different. And so uh, now I help moms adjust and find themselves in fitness. And I love it. Um, Originally from Memphis, now I'm in Mexico. Ask me about tacos and margaritas. I've got all the recommendations you need Sarah was
1: actually my postpartum fitness coach because I had extreme separation in my own abdomen and she helped me so much. I was having a lot of back pain. So as you guys know, I like to move. If I'm not flipping around or running, there's something wrong with me. Right. So in between uh, my own health journey and in in just taking care of my family and working out, it almost felt like that part of me was really lacking because I had just so much going on that I didn't know. I know about gut health. I don't know about the pelvic floor and how this functions and how does does your back muscle, how does that connect with that? So I hired Sarah and we worked together for six months and it's just been such a journey. This past June, I did my first 5K, something that I didn't think was going to happen ever one because I was like, Oh my gosh, I have a liver that doesn't function, I probably shouldn't do those things. And then, and then as usual, you know, you defeat the rules, right? And you're like, rules don't apply it. I got this, I can do it. And Sarah helped me so much by teaching me the pelvic floor, teaching me the box breathing, teaching me all these things that I needed to know. So I could do my first 5k. So it was it's been over a year now since we've worked together but yeah it's crazy it's crazy it's been a yeah. while we've known each other for a while right yeah so, so guys if you if you really are looking for the real deal someone that not, that she's not going to give you fluff she's going to give you the real stuff she's going to give you tangible actions and tangible tasks to do that you think one of the biggest things that i told you i was like i feel like i'm not doing anything like why am i laying down and just extending one leg and then the other like I feel like I'm not doing anything, but it's those things that just blew my mind. It just blew my mind. So it's really, it's totally. really, really exciting to to see that. So let's talk about uh, a pre. Let's talk about prenatal first. So how can a mom ensure that she has? Well, I don't. I don't even feel like we can ensure to have a easy birth. But what are the things what we can do to feel good in our pregnancy, to maintain our weight, to just really, again, feel good after we have baby.
0: Totally. So I feel like most moms that I speak to, once they become pregnant, it's kind of like the veil is lifted and we realize, oh my gosh, I have to take care of myself and another human. And the thought of I'm going to have to push that human out of me in a few months is really present at the front of our minds. And I find it funny because you would never go run a marathon without training for it. Right. And you definitely wouldn't run three marathons in a row without training for it. But the average birth takes like 12 to 14 hours. And so I think that's like running multiple marathons in a row and, and we're not going to train for that. That's kind of wild. wild. That was why I was like, I have to have
1: someone that knows about pelvic floor because I know eventually I want to run a 5k. I know eventually I want to. And now that dream just seems so far away. And it seems silly to me that I was like, it's because I had kids? Look, like that, that was what was going to stop me. Not my chronic illness, not anything. Really? I was like, no, this is right. because I'm the kind of person, like things happen because of my kids, because my kids are my reason, right?
0: So, so yeah, that, that was really, I was like, I got to do it. Like what, I have to yeah. train. So what am what, yes. what I, gotta, what I do? Right. And so if we want... You have like these ideal birth experiences. And if we want to really look after our children's health, that starts during pregnancy. Just like you wouldn't run the marathon, you're not going to want to give birth without doing some training for it first. And I find a lot of women are surprised by the fact that you can actually train for birth. But there are specific things that you do. There are specific muscles that you're going to engage to push baby out. And so there is absolutely a way to train for birth. And I know you can speak to the nutrition aspect of it, but pregnancy really sets mom and baby up. In terms of having not only a good birth experience, but then having good outcomes later in life as well. And so, yes, the type of exercise that you do needs to change in some ways, but the most important thing is to just do it. Um, It's not the time to hold off because you want to kick your feet up and not do anything for nine months. I kind of have the opposite theory of like, no, let's get it in gear because we've got two lives that we're taking care of or sometimes multiple.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what are a few things that you would recommend for a prenatal mom that is, is health conscious? Because let's say that you're listening to this podcast, you are health conscious, right? So maybe you are on an kind of illness, journey, maybe you have an autoimmune, maybe you're having infertility issues and you're just so glad that you are pregnant and you're like, Woo, and you're on cloud nine. So this is really the episode where we're like, okay, I am health conscious. I kind of know what's going on but what does what what makes it different
0: what can i do to what moves what things go ahead <laughs> okay So I feel like I've got three general tips and these are going to be things that apply to everyone, no matter your fitness level. If you want more specific advice, like reach out, but just general tips, you're going to want to make walking something in your daily routine. Most of us are not moving our bodies enough throughout the day because of the way that society has changed, right? Like we used to be people who were a lot more active. Now we can have traditional jobs where we are sitting for longer periods or just our hobbies in general are more geared towards sitting. And so we need to be getting up. We need to be moving throughout the day. Uh, And especially if you can put a time where you are moving for like 20 to 30 minutes of just walking, the pace doesn't need to be so leisurely. If you can kind of up it to zone two cardio, that's ideal. Zone two is where you can hold a conversation, but if you were to go like a little bit faster, it would start to feel a little bit difficult. So oh, in pregnancy, that's want a to great pass- like metric. That's a great metric. If I can hold a conversation, then okay, that's yeah. great. I love that. And this is important for every pregnancy exercise, we need to be able to pass the talk test. So you should be able to hold a conversation. If you are gasping for air, then you're going too hard. And the reason why I say that is because we need sufficient oxygen for both you and baby. And so if you're gasping for air and you don't have enough oxygen, then obviously that's not ideal for you or baby, especially during this stage of life. And so we want to get into that zone two level where it's conversational, but it's not like a leisurely walk on the beach. So that would be my first tip. You really need to aim towards walking and improving your cardiovascular health because again, like birth is a long amount of time. So we need the endurance of it all. The second thing that I would really encourage moms to do is learn something that Jetta already mentioned. It's that box breathing. You'll also hear it called core breathing or 360 breathing. Like we've given it a million different names, but it's this idea of breathing into the torso and making it come out like it was a tree trunk in every direction, 360 degrees, it's expansion, that pelvic floor relaxes. And then on your exhale, you lift the pelvic floor up and bring the tree trunk back in. You want it to go from a trunk to like a skinny limb. And so that's something we want to do every day. I want to, I want to make a quick thing because box
1: breathing is, does actually require um, the muscles that maybe we don't think that we're using. Right. And so this is why to me, it felt it felt like I wasn't doing anything. I was like, what? Like, I, I can believe Sarah. Like, I, I do yes. meditation. I do breathing exercises. I was like, what? But it's so different. And I actually made this uh, this cor- this correlation that this is actually something similar that happens actually when we have a bowel movement. So when we have a bowel movement and why this is so ideal for you and baby is to actually get rid of those toxins as well, naturally, right? And so when you're doing the box breathing, Mm -hmm. it has, it's like, I want you guys to think of it as an umbrella All the things under it, like your gut health, your bowel movement, your, your mental load, your, all that stuff. It just, that, that one tip, Sarah, is just so beautiful, let alone the other, the, uh, the one that you were saying before. And then I just can't wait to hear the next one. So
0: yes, absolutely. And to add to that, like this box breathing is life-changing because like you said, it is working muscles that we don't pay attention to usually. We think of the core as just like the six pack, but the core is like your entire torso. And Mm. even we have supporting muscles for the core being like the glutes. And so that breathing is really gonna incorporate all of it. And this is why it's so helpful for us to practice it beforehand, because a lot of people are freaked out about like defecating during labor, but that means you're pushing right. And what it is is that this helps with those kinds of movements as well. It's getting your body literally prepared for the actual movement of pushing. Um, So that is like my number one tip almost. Uh, You should be doing that every day. And then the last tip kind of speaks to that core piece because Again, everyone is so concerned about what is my belly going to look like after I have a baby and it's getting bigger. And that's valid because pregnancy is a time where our bodies change really quickly in a short amount of time. And it can kind of throw us off and be disconcerting. So a lot of women want to kind of work their core during pregnancy. And I get this question a lot of like, what ab exercises should I be doing and they want to do these traditional ab exercises. So like crunches and bicycle crunches and mountain climbers. And my advice is to ditch all of those traditional core exercises because they're not conducive to what we're yeah. actually training for. Like you yeah. have to do the exercise for your goal. Your goal yeah. right now is a healthy pregnancy and birth experience. And if you tighten up all of those muscles, you're going to end up actually tearing your tissue that connects your six pack abs and you can have a harder birth experience because you then don't know how to relax and actually push the baby out. And so we need to work different core muscles during pregnancy. So any traditional like core exercises that you're used to, they need to go out the window. It is not the time. And focus more so on like transverse abdominis exercises. So those are my top three. Like you got to walk, you got to breathe, and you got to work the right core exercises. The pre the prenatal
1: stuff really sets you up. You am baby for this really optimal health, right? Because all the things that we're doing uh, in our lives, when when we reach one phase in our lives, then we're like, okay, what's the next one? What's the next one, right? As a so, I'm gonna talk in the in the uh, uh, perspective of the baby. Okay, so we our gut develops from the womb. So this is what I said. I said womb to death neurological and gut development. And there are a bunch of, not, and not just one, but really when I say a bunch, like over a hundred research studies and meta-analysis on what happens when the mom is, um, is when they're doing like the everyday tasks, like they're taking, taking the garbage out, taking a walk, care even caring for someone else in the meantime. So if maybe like, if you have a second child or or if this is your first child, but maybe you have, maybe you're a caregiver or something like that, right? The gut development and the gut bacteria is actually different versus the mom that is sitting down a lot and has a sedentary lifestyle. And then also when she comes home from work or things like that, she also is not moving. Okay. So so the walking part is really important for you, absolutely, but also for the baby. So we have from from the womb. Uh, there's a constant, so I want you guys to think about like the room as like like a rose. If you see a rose, it starts as like a bud and everything around it is just kind of there, okay? The pancreas from the entire GI tract, so the entire GI tract I can start at the mouth and then at the bottom, okay? But the pancreas is really, really predominant in the room. And if you are doing things like running to where that's not, that's not, that's not what you've been doing the years when you before you do uh, before you become pregnant. There is this almost like this, um, this stress on the pancreas, and there's a stress in the gut development and the neurological development if the mom is what we call in high stress. Now, that can be from working out, or that can be also from environmental factors. And so when this happens, the next organ that is, uh, that is affected is the liver. You have the pancreas and why you have the liver that is really kind of doing this tug of war across the gut. So like I said, like think about it as a rose and the gut kind of then expands as the pregnancy follows through, right? And so at at about 36 weeks, 37 weeks, the gut should be fully developed. And at that time, it depends really if the baby is born vaginally or C-section, but the gut microbe is different as well. Right. So coming from that perspective, there's a specific bacteria that there has been an emphasis and a rise right now. um, If you've been listening to like other podcasts or wanting to get yourself educated, there's a specific bacteria that people are saying that the babies are not born with as much bacteria because of mom's lifestyle and because of the food. Now, this is not true. If you are born without the specific, this specific bacteria, then you have severe problems. Like we're not talking about like eczema. We're not talking about colic. We're talking severe. We're not even, we're not even talking about Down syndrome. We're talking like this baby really has a lot of stuff going on. Right. So that's when we say that it is one without this bacteria. But again, this bacteria. Is, is formed and how much of it we have is due to the way that you were born, but also how well mom takes care of her. So I don't want that to, to become a pressure or anything like that. But if we are doing the walking and the box breathing, which I said, literally, you don't feel like you're doing anything. If you do those two things, your, your baby and you, you're going to recover and that, that you kind of feel the, the hit the ground running type of feel. So another reason why, really, like all the things that Sarah is saying today, really keep that in mind because again, everything that we do, you're
0: also doing for for your child. Absolutely. Plus, I'm gonna grab one and have I'm gonna feed her while I do this, otherwise okay. you're not gonna be able to see it and hear okay. it. So let's okay. really quick. Okay. Okay. This is Miss Violet girl. Oh my god, my heart. My heart. She, just woke up and I was like, nope, she's not having it anymore.
1: <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God.
0: Um Ew. I wanted to speak really quickly to that point that you mentioned about stress and also about just these habits that we have during prenatal period and setting up mom and baby for postpartum, because you mentioned there are a lot of studies that, that talk about this, but there was one that came out in 2021 that I found fascinating because they didn't just look at the long-term health of infants, which is what's typically shown in these studies, like zero. Is this the one with the long-term health for the moms? Yes. Well, (laughs) long-term health for mom and baby. So they looked at moms during pregnancy and the first 15 months postpartum, you know, this one, right? Like it was wild. So her habits would affect the children, not only in infancy. So they looked at zero to one years old, but also in adolescence, 12 to 13. And they found two things that I found very interesting. There was a lot in this study, but two points that I really want to like highlight here. The first one was that mom's habits during pregnancy and postpartum would affect their child's health outcomes, specifically in the area of chronic illness, which I know you find that like right in your zone of genius. And that held true, not just for infancy, but also at 12, 13 years old. And this looked at not only her health habits, so how much she was exercising and her nutrition, but then also they were looking at her stress levels, the presence of stressful or traumatic events in the life of the mother could affect the likelihood that a child would have a chronic illness or struggle with their health at different points in life. And so I love this because it kind of flies in the face of most traditional advice that we get during pregnancy and postpartum, especially in that postpartum period, like this idea that I'll like make time for myself later in life. It's not my season. Like, no, yes, it is. This is your season. And this is a time when if you take care of yourself, it's not just you that you're taking care of. So we can let go of the mom guilt. Like you're actually taking care of your kids too when you take the time to really prioritize good nutrition and healthy exercise and mental health. This one aspect and, and this one very fact is actually what got me very
1: curious and doing and studying what I did end up studying because it, none of, none of it made sense. Like at, from when I was little, I I was inflamed. Like when I say it, like we're chronic, we are always inflamed, which I want to make a quick note of, uh, about that. We are always inflamed. If we're not inflamed, then our body is not responding and therefore we are dead. So there's always a, a level of inflammation, but it's how how much you are inflamed. When I was little, I was like barely eating. I was malnourished, but I was like, hushy And it, it was so wild to me that that I I, I even felt that and I felt that every time I ate and every time that like any sort of like the smallest of things it was like my brain couldn't handle it my body couldn't handle it and then as I was 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 and then at 16 I had my first menstrual cycle and then I bled for an entire year literally then I became anemic I was like no this this has this has there has to be more to this right and this is what I'm all about self-advocating for yourself. If you are a person and you're listening to this and you're like okay man like I've had these issues since I was little there's nothing against and and you guys know my story right so I was abandoned and then I was adopted by Romanian parents and now I'm here living in the U.S. there's nothing like terrible that I personally feel for like my biological mom because I was also her eighth child and she was extremely poor. And she was with my birth father, who was an aggressive ginger, right? And so all these things, absolutely. Do I think that, that my birth mom had an immense amount of stress and that she also was not taking care of herself? 1,000%. 1,000%. So there isn't, like, like this kind of, like, like, um, like terrible feeling for her or anything like that. That was just her situation. And had she known Sarah... Had she known people like the information in the, in the professionals that we have today that are specialized in these things. I I think that would have made such a big difference in my own life, but because I know that now, and this is such, such a big importance here because I know that this was the situation and my gut development was not correct. It just was not ideal. My neurological development was not correct. So a lot of things came way harder. And so it's not a shock that my liver only functions at 50%, but it's also not a shock that like, these are the things that happened and there's always, you can always live a better quality of life, no matter if that is the situation. So that is one of the things that I know I made sure that I did when I was pregnant with my two kids is like, move, do the things, you know, lift the little weights, not the big weights, right? <laughs> Those kind of things, because it was like, okay, History is not going to 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 repeat itself. My kids are going to be okay. And even even with that, I always say this. Uh, I have so my my son who's four now. He was born with severe atopical eczema, and my daughter she was okay. She just had some spinal issues, which we were we were wondering if she had if she had um, scoliosis. Uh, I have a little bit of scoliosis, but we were worried about that because she wasn't laying flat, and I was like. You know what? I know that I did everything in my power that the way that my kids were born in these issues that they had. I know that this is actually fantastic compared to what could have happened because of my liver issues. So I think that's another thing, too, is to understand when we know all of our options and we are taking care of ourselves and we still end up with because in birth, so many things can happen. When we do that, and, and we have a child that maybe doesn't have eczema or that has a hard time latching or that has weird poops or whatever, when you do all the things, don't be so hard on yourself, Mama. Don't be so hard because there, everything is, you've done everything that you can in your power and just keep, just keep listening to your body. Be really really intuitive with your baby you and your baby you guys are like attached and it's like it's this bond and when you guys know that about each other you're gonna know exactly what to do when to do it you know all that stuff
0: totally and I love you and I bond over this phrase, like control the controllables, because a lot yes. of mom life kind of feels uncontrollable. And yep. so in the chaos, it's just focusing on what can I do today? And I I really like just taking it day by day in a way, because if not, if we're just looking at like the whole concept, there can be a lot of mom guilt of like, I need to be doing this to take care of me, to take care of baby, because if I don't X, Y, Z, and I don't want any mom to leave this podcast with that feeling. I really just want you to have the information and then know, do what you can. As long as you're doing your your best, that's enough. That it yep. really is. Of course, there are ways that we can get specific and some people can, you know, get help from, like you said, professionals. And we've been there. We're moms ourselves. So like we get it, but just focusing on like, what can I do today? If it's like choosing the bone broth, if it is, you know, getting in a walk, like that's really enough. And you did your part today and you can really celebrate the process instead of only celebrating when everything turns out perfect. Absolutely. 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 What are a few nutrition tips that you have
1: for a uh, prenatal and postnatal mama? And is there a
0: difference? Oh, okay. So this is an interesting one. So first general tips for both, eat your protein, please. Like eat your protein and getting your micronutrients are my top ones because during pregnancy, we are building a baby, we're building a human and they will take what they need from your body. So if they're not getting it from your nutrition, they're going to get it from somewhere. They really will. And so you need to be giving them the building blocks of life. Right. And so Part of that's protein. And then part of it that I think gets overlooked a lot is the micronutrient aspect, your fruits and your veggies. These are where all of our vitamins and minerals come from. And that holds true for postpartum as well, because even though you're not building a baby, you are rebuilding yourself. And so in a lot of ways, um, the, the advice applies to both and that we really need to prioritize getting in that protein and eating lots of varied fruits and vegetables. We hear all the time, like eat the rainbow, right? The biggest difference really comes in Pregnancy, there are some limitations in the things that we can eat. In postpartum, that's not usually the case. Although some babies, like mine, do have some food sensitivities through breast milk, uh, but that's like it gets very specific. So my, to give my children, story. my uh-huh. children,
1: when sorry, we were talking no, about ahead. and breastfeeding my children. So with Ellie, if I had like any sort of of fresh veggies, which that's my go-to, like I just love fruits and veggies. Oh my gosh, this poor baby, he would have such gas. Oh my God. And with my daughter, it was only like cabbage. And it was like, it was, as if like my body knew, like, Hey, you should totally eat this because then your baby's going to have to fart. And like, they can't, so, and, and yeah. I, I would make, I was like hyper fixated on, um, on chicken breast with a little bit of salt and pepper and with some cabbage and just kind of stir it up in, in on stovetop and just put a little bit of olive oil at the end. It was just like, amazing. And poor, for Teodora, like she was just like, and I'm like, I'm
0: so sorry. Totally. I had this experience with my twins because easy way for me to get protein postpartum and calcium, which you need a lot when you're breastfeeding and postpartum, I was doing Greek yogurt. And then come to find out three weeks later, I'm like, they have a lot of gas and fussiness. And I I then later find out they have cow's milk intolerance that we're working through. But for a while, it was very strict, like no milk no butter, like zero cow's milk, because they were premature. And so yep. some things just hadn't developed yet. And now we're slowly like incorporating back in, which I've talked to Jetta about this in different occasions, because I used to have an intolerance that wasn't really an intolerance, um, which I know you you talk about that a lot. I have some you know, general tips, but then sometimes we have babies that are just a little picky postpartum. Oh, yeah. and that's things okay. fly fly out the window and that's okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We we just control the controllable. So in my case, it's looking for protein everywhere else, working to someday get my Greek yogurt back because I love it so much.
1: What is your take? And I want to hear your professional opinion here. Why is it that we're seeing more kids being born with either food sensitivities or issues with lactose
0: or just irritabilities more towards food? Why do you think that is? And can we help it? So this is not, you know, my zone of genius in the nutrition aspect, especially in intolerances. However, I think a lot of it stems from restriction in the parents, and uh, it creates issues for them later. Because if we take it out of our own diets, then our body becomes accustomed to not digesting it and producing the enzymes that are required for digesting it. And they're not going to appear out of nowhere for our children. And this is why now they talk a lot about early exposure to things being so important so that they can develop the enzymes and what's needed to actually digest. But you are way more educated on this topic. Um, I personally would love to hear your take. So the the reason I asked this question is because, like I said, I have a son who was born with severe
1: topical eczema and and you mentioned now your daughters, right who have a, who have this intolerance and this trouble with cow's milk, right, which is lactose, right. And so what I what I believe to be true is knowing exactly what I know about gut development, neurological development from wound to death. And what is changing um, is literally it's a it's called epigenetics, and epigenetics is coming from our genetics and the response and the the information that our body holds, the information that our body holds in our response should be should uh, evolutionize. So if as for example, so I'm going to take one extreme and then I'm going to bring it to to rethink lifestyle, right? So let's say we have a grandma or grandpa, because grandmas back in the day did not do this kind of work, but grandpa who worked uh, in a coal mine, okay? And then the next generation maybe worked in the automotive industry, right? And now we have a child who is born with maybe gluten intolerance or strawberry allergy or peanut butter, right? This is actually coming from generations of exposure to toxicity, okay? And so the body and the epigenetics actually changed every single generation and kind of if I, it, I, if I could paint you the picture of it, kind of like the peak of what happens when that gut development is happening. So again, the pancreas and the liver, and it's kind of just, it, it's sitting around the gut. It's not, it's not in it. Right. And so when it goes into it in that epigenetics and there's, a, there's about six, six genetic codes that is found before 20 weeks that kind of can tell us, okay, is this child going to be, you know, uh, is it going to have food sensitivities? Is it going to have an enzyme dysfunction? It's it's a lot of things that you cannot test. You cannot test like as, as a mom, but you can't test these things. So the way that these things are done are not morally correct. but. Nonetheless, we have this information, okay? And when that happens in that stage, and when the epigenetics and, well, the genetics that are now, the information and the reaction is based on the environment, that's actually telling the body, this is what I know that's going to keep me safe. And so it can be from things like, you know, your, your great-grandma or grandpa or whatever, they worked in a, in a high metal or high toxic, but as you said, it can also be generation of females ex- because females are more likely to do detoxes and extremes than men are, right? It's like, it's like men want to, they do weight loss and they just, drink, they just,
0: they don't do nothing. <laughs> and like the weight falls off yeah. them, right? Women,
1: like, not oh, like, I just took
0: right? out Cokes and like I lost 40 pounds and yeah, good for you. Yeah, like, good for you, right? Very like, excited yeah. for you. Exactly, exactly, right? So women do tend
1: to do a little bit more of an elimination diet. And this is why I really, really don't stand for elimination diets, because what we are doing with our body is exactly what you said. We're actually teaching our body and our digestive system what to eat and how to absorb it and how to eliminate it. So there's the, the three stages of of intake, right? And so if we are not having a diverse diet and we are on an extreme elimination diet, and then you do have a baby and they do have sensitivities to food we're specifically talking about food and they do have maybe like my Sunday severe atopical eczema right when I say severe guys like I mean like he had band-aids one like this then one like this and then one like both and he had two layers of socks on his hands from so like if he scratched like he just he couldn't even feel the like it was just one of my biggest like BTS (laughs) yes one of my biggest BTS moments was one morning I I heard him and he would wake up and he like when he woke up, it was like, you know, that was him waking up and I opened the door and there's blood on, on his mattress. Like that was my, that was my oh, biggest okay. see moment. And I was like, Oh my God. Right. But considering even considering that, I know I did elimination diets. I know I have liver issues. I know I have these things. So this is why I said at the beginning, I was like, I know I did everything in my power. And if this is the worst and this is the worst, then I helped my son's was 100% to nutrition and I never eliminated anything. So as you're doing with, with your twins, you're working through it. That's the thing. You're working through it. Is there a time and a place, especially for kids, to the way that their digestive system is made up, the way that when you introduce food it has to be in a specific order? Yes, absolutely. I do believe in that. But it's always about, okay wait and see, wait and see and be really consistent in that. Right. And again, if you are, if you are that mom right now and you're listening to this and you're like, man, yeah, like my kid has like multiple sensitivities or, you know, has lactose intolerance or, or whatever the case may be, there's two sides. There's not two sides, but two parts to this is that. Make sure that it's actually a sensitivity and not something that is like, not something that we're eliminating of food because it's hard to see your kid's in the pain or in that because I know firsthand yes it is very difficult it is very difficult I don't I, I never want to see eczema ever again <laughs> ever again <laughs> those are the things but again we're always told with eczema we're always told with you know uh, uh the lactose intolerance or the or the those things like oh just don't have them eat that there's a time and a place when yes that does that can be the thing yes like especially if it causes like severe hyper hyper allergy reaction. Absolutely. Okay. But there really is a way that you can include lactose. They're really, with my son, I never, I never took out lactose. I never took out dairy. And that's one of the first things If you were to look up on Google right now, foods to not eat with eczema. Dairy is the first one. And and I never did that with my son, but I introduced it a little bit later as he got developed. On this flip side of this, because that had to be done, I had to make sure I was very, very well nu- nutritioned <laughs> and I had to make sure that my intake was okay because I did breastfeed. I didn't breastfeed for as long as I wish, which that's my biggest, my biggest, like, oh man, my body didn't have that, but that's okay. But I had to do that. And that was a journey within itself. And I'm like, well, I still can produce the milk. I can still do this. What do I do when he goes on to other milk? you know, the after like cow's milk and not from me. Like, what do I do? How do I do that? And we have this question in our mind that, you know, all the things that we've ever done in our, in our, our, our prenatal and in our postnatal, we could do all the things we could make sure that we are getting the protein. We could do like, literally we could do, we could do a walk. We could do all the things really it's before this ever happened before this ever happened. This is long-term. And so very, very similar to, to a conversation that I had with one of my clients recently is that we need to understand that if it took this long to get here, it's going to take a long, a, a long time to get on this other side of like health and everything to be okay. So that is my biggest thing about if you have children, if, and if you are seeing children that are being more, they're born and they have some sensitivity, don't be hard on yourself, please do you if think don't. Just know that there's, there really is a way through even postnatal stuff, even exercising, getting the blood flow, doing all that stuff is really, really important. Nutrition does help, absolutely, but it's also about you being stable, mentally stable, mentally okay. We're talking about you are the person, and you can go further in this, but we are the people that we're taking care of our babies, and you mentioned this before, like. It kind of like oh my god wait I have to take care of myself and someone else right so is there anything or maybe some tips or really just a conversational piece really how do you, how do you do this because you have so you're breastfeeding and you're also a coach and you run your own online business and you're married and you have a house and uh, and you have a toddler and two twins and like how do you make sure that
0: you are mentally and physically okay? That is a great question. And I don't think I have the perfect answer on this, but a big part of it has been switching from a short term focus to a long game because so much of fitness, especially, which is a big outlet for me when it comes to physical and mental health, has the short term focus of like just getting to this goal of pant size or weight or, you know, muscle growth or whatever. Yeah. And I have realized that in motherhood, the same way that I have to take a long term focus when it comes to raising my children. And trusting that the respect and love that I'm giving them now will have a payoff later is the same way I need to treat my fitness journey. So instead of looking at, you know, what I'm going to do for the next month, or I'm going to do 75 hard, or I'm going to do like all of these crazy fitness challenges, kind of dialing it back a little bit and seeing, okay, what's actually reasonable for the stage of life that I'm in? What can I really do while honoring my priorities? This last week, I had a moment where I was like, okay, I need to sit down and do a schedule because my daughter's wick windows are getting longer. And how do I do this? So it was like 11 PM at night and I'm writing out this, like, this was very type A of me. I'm going to admit, but I'm writing out from like 5 AM to 10 PM every day, breaking it up into like 15 minute increments, what I'm going to be doing at every single point of the day. And then I, yeah, I look at it and I'm like, okay, if everything works, it works. And then I had this moment of like, yeah. Except my kids aren't robots. So I was just going to say, except no one's perfect. <laughs> right. So like if one thing on this crazy list goes wrong, then the whole rest of the day is wrong. And so I had to you know, dial it back and take a minute where I looked at it and I said, okay, what can I learn from this list? My priorities are in this order. And I looked at it in the amount of time I'd allocated. Okay, my priority right now is giving my attention to my kids and their development. And then my next priority is this and this and this. And then I will live and die by routines that help me do that. So these cycles of, okay, when they wake up, we're going to have book time. We're gonna have some song time, and then they're gonna go on their bellies, and mom's gonna get in a workout, and and kind of living by these cycles. I won't even say like a schedule because scheduling is so unrealistic, but a cycle really helps me. I love that. I love that. Something that I tried with with my
1: clients not too long ago is to try to make a priority list of like things that like this has to get done, this would be done, and the third one is like that's just something that like maybe three months from now would be nice to get done, right? And what they found and what I'm starting to see with my own clients is the things that are, that are a priority is 1000% about their family, their workouts or their walk or their quiet time or their reading time is not a priority. And I always say, I'm like, this is such a good priority list, except where are you in this? And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, Yeah. Where are you in this? You are a priority as well. So exactly like how you said, like you made sure you always make sure that, yes, the kids are fed. The kids are they're they're stimulated. They're doing all the things that they need to develop. And then you literally
0: said it when they have tummy time, I work out. (laughs) Right? Right. (laughs) Because we can't forget that like investing in our own health is an investment in them too. Not just from like the scientific level, but we're also modeling behavior. You would never want your your child to put themselves at the bottom of every list where they don't take care of themselves. You would never want to teach that to them. But when we don't take care of ourselves because we feel like we have to be like laser focused on the latest parenting trend and we should be doing a hundred books today or whatever, then I let that go. Mm -hmm. I let that go a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We, we gotta be a little bit more realistic here and also realize we have to model the behavior that we want them to emulate. So if we want our kids to get on board with taking care of their physical and mental health, it starts with us and it's okay if they have some chill time while we do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're recording this podcast and my kids are watching a movie. I
1: think they're watching Despicable Me too, because they, that's like their thing right now. So it's like, go ahead because this is something that mom does after this sure of course we're gonna go outside we're gonna have some snacks we're gonna hang out for literally three hours and then it's nap time so like yes those are the things that's the priority right sarah thank you so much for being here tell us how people can find you what you got going on
0: anything special anything enrollment wise anything like that Okay. So you can find me on Instagram and TikTok. My handle on both of those platforms is sarahkelly.co. That's Sarah with an H, Kelly with an EY.co. I got one of those great name combinations where you can spell it a hundred different ways, but yeah, sarahkelly.co. Find me there. I always love to chat and hang out with you guys. I also have my own podcast. It's called the Fit Mama Podcast. It's on Spotify. So check that out. And then things going on. If you want to work with me, I've got private coaching spots opening up. I've got one right now and then two two three ish in december depending on how crazy these twins get around that time yeah. so hop on that so get current rates other than that there are some other things kind of in the works but no definites yet so you'll just need to be paying attention to social media and i'll announce that as it comes i love that i love that you guys you guys heard of her. check out her podcast
1: because this, what you guys saw of sarah today is just kind of like the tip of the iceberg because sarah goes way in depth about mindset about mentality about uh uh moves and fitness and all this stuff so uh please check it out mom the Fit mom the fit mama m-a-m-a the fit mama podcast i listened to it and i was even a guest on it and and i said fit mama Fit (laughs) fit mama um it is a great podcast please check it out Thank you guys for uh for being here. If you're at this part of the podcast, I want you guys to check out the show notes because in the show notes, we're going to have timestamps of the golden nuggets that Sarah dropped. So if you don't have 60 minutes to listen to this, but you're like, I want to hear what she has to say about this. I want to hear that is your spot. And this is also where the links to Sarah's social so, social media and all the things that she does, including her own podcast in, in the show notes. Thank you guys for being here. And I'll see you guys on the next one. Bye, guys. Thanks so much.